Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha's PG Parsha. You I see that? The Thank you. <laughs> right, you got to click the little, uh, little authorize. So this is DPP's PG Parsha, which is our one day a week, Mondays. Now, it used to be Wednesdays, Mondays now, where we meet in person and we even have the lunch option. Matt, one week, if you want. Put that order in. We'll have it ready for you. <laughs> All right. The morning. Well, you know what? We should. We need to tweak it because we got to get in a little bit earlier. They're asking that we get in ideally the Sunday. day before Sunday. It could even be the week before. I know it's like whatever. Like who's planning one so far in advance? I know, but that was one time. But anyway. It goes at three, right. So, all right, it'll take a little advanced planning. We'll get there. Okay, but let's let's jump in. Today, let's give the date and time. Today is Monday, July 19th, 2021. Um, and hey, Aaliyah, good to see you. Welcome, welcome. Okay, so this is, this is, this is DPP. And Torah portion is Va'et Hanan. So it's the second portion in the book of Deuteronomy. And um, everyone here, so what I did this week was that everybody in person, because we have our in-person DBP today, I printed out the same text. This way we're not reading two different texts. The same text that we, ha we have online is a text that you have in front of you from the website. So it's like, you just the only difference is on the papers, you can't scroll. You can't scroll. You have to turn the page, you can't scroll. Okay, I'm gonna show my. I'm gonna share my screen for everybody online, and we are gonna jump in. So give me a second. Let's do this. All right, reading number one. All right, Vet Hanan. I'm gonna do the intro. Do the intro again. You heard this last week, probably a dozen plus times. I'm gonna do it again today. I'm telling you, I'm gonna do this every single time we do this. All DPP and Deuteronomy gets the same intro. Moses' final speech to the people shortly before his passing, the last 37 days of his life. He's speaking to the people, words of encouragement, words of um, re some rebuke, some criticism, correction, whatever you want to call it, to get the people where they need to be before he passes away and passes the mantle of leadership officially, passes the baton to Joshua. So all he wants is for the best, is the, is the best for the people. And he's dedicated to make that happen. All right, so let's begin. I'm going to start reading here. This is the third chapter of Deuteronomy. It starts with verse 23. And Moses, again, in the first person, tells the people in his final speech, he tells them his conversation, his dialogue with God Almighty. So I entreated the Lord at that time, saying... Let me explain what's going on here. This is after the victory. This is in the recent past. This is after the Jewish people had made their final approach to Israel. They passed through certain lands. They had waged war with Sichon and Og. Sichon, the king of the Emori, not the Emory, the Emori. Og, the king of Bashan, the great giant. And they, the Jewish people had been victorious over them. And the two tribes of Reuben and God had asked for land. And they got land over there. Again, this is stuff that had just happened in the recent past. But Moses adds in a detail that the people didn't know. Right now, as he's speaking to the people shortly before his passing, he says that I entreated the Lord at that time, saying, was, I begged God for the following request. O Lord God, verse 24, you have begun to show your servant 
referring to himself, your greatness and your strong hand, for who is like God in heaven or on earth who can do as your deeds and your might. So first, if you want to ask for something, step one is flattery. He says, God, you're so great, you're so mighty, you're so powerful. Who is like you in heaven or earth that can do like you did? Be victorious over, lead us to victory over these two very strong kings and very strong nations. Now he goes in for the request in verse 25. He says, pray, let me cross, like kind of pray tell, like pray, let me cross over and see the good land that is on the other side of the Jordan, this good mountain, and the Lebanon. That is what he's asking for. He's asking to go into the land of Israel. So he's telling the people that I asked after we had started making, uh, gaining some momentum as, into the approach, I asked God, will you relent? Will you let me in? I want to stop and, and mention something that's very important. The first word of the Torah portion and the name of the portion is Ve'etchanan. I'm highlighting it online. I'm trying to highlight it here. At least it's not working for whatever reason. There it is. So the first word here, Ve'etchanan, if you count up the numerology, gematria, right? We love numerology. It equals 515. We can even do the numbers, right? So Vav is 6. Aleph is 1. That's 7. Tuf is 400. That's 407. Chet is 8. What's 407 plus 8? 415. Ve'etchanan, the first word, the first Hebrew word. First word, no, 23. All right, so we have 415, and then nun and nun, two nuns at the end. Each nun is 50, that's 100. 415 plus 50 plus 50 is, of course, 515. And our sages tell us, in fact, I believe it's even in Rashi, maybe. Let's see, it's not in Rashi. No, it's the Balaturim, I say this, that he prayed. Mo Moses did 515 prayers to enter the land of Israel. Ve'etchanan doesn't only mean I, I, I begged or I entreated God, but it means also that I prayed, I requested it 515 times, like the numerology of the word Ve'etchanan. Basically, Moses was relentless in his request to go into the land. And what was God's response? God said no. God said no. In fact, God said not only no, God said, stop, stop asking. Okay, as we'll see soon. Um, okay, we're up to verse number 26. Verse 26. But the Lord was angry with me because of you, and he did not listen to me, and the Lord said to me, it is enough for you. Speak to me no more regarding this matter. Basically, God says, enough. Stop asking. And the, the phrase that he uses is rav lach. It's enough for you. You've lived enough, you've had a, a, a long life, a successful life, it's enough. You've lived a good life, don't, don't ask for more. Speak to me no more regarding this matter. The Medrash says something powerful. This phrase, it is enough for you, in the Hebrew it's rav lach. So that evokes a phrase that Moses himself used to none other than Korach. Remember when Korach, a few weeks ago we read about this Korach, his um, cousin tried to revolt and rebel and wanted to become a Kohen, a high priest. And Moses said to him, Rav lachem b'nei Levi. It's enough for you that you're Levites. Don't also try to become, you also want to be a priest? Rav lachem, it's good, it's good. It's enough for you that you're, that you're Levites. So the Medrash says, because he poured cold water on their aspirations, 
So God poured cold water on his aspirations and God said, you want to go into Israel? It's enough for you. You said it was enough for them, it's enough for you. Which obviously evokes the question, hold on. But the Korach revolt was no good. So by him ending it, it was a good thing. But Moses' request to go into Israel seems like it's an innocent request or a positive request. So what's going on? So there is a beautiful insight into this from the Hasidic tradition that says essentially the following. That, yes, Korach, and this is something we brought up before, Korach went about it, his aspirations in the wrong way. But the core dream to rise to the level of a Kohen, the core idea that I want to rise from my spiritual standing where I'm at right now and I want to grow, I want to you know, continue to grow and evolve and that sort of thing, that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's something to celebrate and not something to denigrate. Which means that when Moses was speaking to Korach, he should not have said, Rav Lachem, basically stay in your lane. Right? It's enough for you. Stay in your lane. He shouldn't have said that. He should have said something along the lines of, it's a great desire. I also desire that, etc. But what are you going to do? But the Rav Lachem, it's enough for you. Be satisfied with what you have. That was a phrase that came back in, in, uh, in a certain sense to haunt Moses because when he asks of God to go into Israel, God uses the same phrase. Rav Lach, it's enough for you. Stay in your lane. You're not meant to go into Israel. Wait, All right, so yes? Is Korach having spiritual longing? Is that a proper way to describe it? Yes, so Korach... Certainly, according to the Hasidic tradition, had a spiritual longing, absolutely, and it was a positive spiritual longing. When you read the story on, on the surface, he's a terrible guy. He's just, you know, some sort of, you know, um, troublemaker. But you read it on a deeper level, and you realize, like, oh no, he's uh, he actually had positive intentions. Let's continue with verse twenty-seven. Yeah. Yesod. Yesod, Yesod, yeah, Yesod and Malchut. And with that, like, let's say, like, the, the striving energy versus the, I guess, more Let me think, which I, was the... I, I thought there was one, I guess, dichotomy that was, like, the striving... Netzach and Hod. Netzach and Hod. Yeah, Netzach, yes. Netzach is the ambition, right, in the Sefirot. Netzach is number seven and Hod is number eight. Netzach is, is victory, is conquering, it's ambition, it's drive. And Hod is like yielding and humility. So Netzach says, I'm going first. And Hod says, you go first. That type of thing. So yeah, when, so I like what you're saying. So when Korach had some Netzach, he wanted to like, you know, bulldoze. Moses said, Moses put the brakes on it. And so when Moses is now praying 550 times to go into Israel, so God says, Ravlach, it's enough. It's enough. You got, you got what you got and that's it. Yeah, sure. So, um, so Moses makes mistakes. Yeah. Depends who you ask. Who if you ask a chassid, no, Moses doesn't oh. make mistakes. It seems like he makes a mistake, okay. but not really. Because okay. I was just—is he considered a tzaddik? For sure, Moses. The, yeah, for sure. Moses is like way up there okay. in the tzaddik ranking of all time. Oh yeah, okay. top ten for sure. <laughs> top maybe three. Okay. So let's continue. Verse 27. So here's what God says that Moses can do. God says, go up to the top of the hill. Remember, they're right outside of Israel. Go up to the top of the hill and lift, your, lift up your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and see with your eyes, for you shall not cross this Jordan. In other words, the closest you're going to get is, overlooking, is seeing the land from the top of the hill, 
but you're not going to actually step foot into it. Verse 28, but command Joshua and strengthen him and encourage him. Again, this is Moses, just so we don't lose the, the plot here. It's Moses telling the people what God told him after he asked and begged and pleaded with God to go into Israel. God says to him, no, go to the hill. Verse 28, but command Joshua and strengthen him and encourage him, for he will cross over before this people and he will make them inherit the land which you will see. This is very important because Moses declares to all the people that God had told him that Joshua should be the leader. He's not leaving a vacuum of leadership. We know the vacuums of leadership are always very difficult. Let's continue verse 29. And we abided, abided, I don't know, that's a weird, it's a weird phrase. At least to me, it's a weird phrase. Uh, Vaneshev means we settled. We settled, we dwelt. We settled in the valley opposite Beit Pa'ar. Beit Pa'ar. Okay, that is the context of where the people were actually, um, where they were stationed. Okay, now we continue with Deuteronomy chapter number four. All of this is still part of the first reading, but we are going to jump in. Let me just quickly take a look. Yes, the, the valley opposite Beit Pa'ar, Rashi says. I'm going to toggle Rashi here online. You guys can't see it in person. But you'll have to trust me for this. Um, we abided in the valley. We dwelt in the valley opposite Beit Par. If you recall, Baal Par was that idol. Remember the idol that they sinned with the daughters of Midian? And the, whatever. So that was called the Par. So they dwelt in that place where they had worshipped the idols. Nevertheless, there is forgiveness, as Rashi says. There will be forgiveness as the verses continue, forgiveness once the, the Jews get kind of back on the straight and narrow. Here we go. So Deuteronomy chapter 4, and this is what Moses says in continuation of what he just said. And now Israel, and now O Israel, now he's speaking directly to the people, and now O Israel, hearken to the statutes and to the judgments which I teach you to do in order that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God God of your forefathers is giving you. So what's the juxtaposition? Again, between verse 29 of chapter 3 and verse 1 of chapter 4, according to Rashi, which I just toggled online, and I just share with you outside, the, 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 the flow is that Moses is telling the people that I was not forgiven, I was not given a chance to go in, I will not go in with you guys, and that's going to be my, my, um, my, my, my legacy or my... I, I'm not going in. But you guys, even though you sinned with the par, with the idol, you will have a chance to go in when you kind of recorrect, redirect yourself to where you need to be. So that's why he says, hearken to the statutes, the judgments, etc., so that you may live and go in and possess the land. If you do this, you will go into the land. God is essentially giving you a chance after the sin of the par, after the sin of the idolatry, to go into the land. Verse number two. Do not add to the word which I command you, nor diminish from it, to observe the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. So Moses tells the people, this is a very important mitzvah, do not add to the mitzvot. We're not supposed to add to the mitzvot, nor take away from the mitzvot. So everything should be bidiyuk, exactly the way it was commanded. Verse number three, your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Pa'ar. That's when they served idols recently. 
For every man who went after Baal Pa'ar, the Lord your God has exterminated from your midst. The people that sinned with idolatry, they, they, they were struck by a plague, as we read a few weeks ago. But you who cleave to the Lord your God are alive, all of you this day. Once again, Moses is warning the people against idolatry, not to serve idols, and saying essentially that that is what is going to be uh, problematic. Now, I want to bring in Rashi on verse number two. On verse number two, where, where Moses tells the people, do not add to the mitzvot, do not add to the commandments. Rashi says, I'm going to read Rashi. For instance, do not add to the mitzvot by inserting five sections into the tefillin instead of four. So in the tefillin, both the arm box and the head box, there are four chapters of scripture. That's the way, that's the law that we got from Moses at Sinai. Moses is saying, don't add to the mitzvot, meaning don't add a fifth section on your own. It's like, you know what? We're wearing tefillin. Anyway, it's got four sections, so might as well let's add a fifth, like another, another favorite paragraph. Now I'll do that. Or another example of prohibition is by using five species for the commandment on, of lulav on Sukkot instead of four. So also again, five and four. So on Sukkot, we bring together four plants for the blessing. Right? I think everyone, right? we've all done it. You get the lulav, which is the tall palm. You get the esrog, which is the lemony, citrony, expensive lemon thing. Then you get the myrtle, the hadas, and the arava, which is the willow, and you get those four things together. You say the blessing, you give it a shake in different directions. So again, Rashi says, what does it mean when the Torah says, when Moses says to the people, don't add to the mitzvot, don't add a fifth plant. It's like, you know what, I love um, jasmine. Jasmine, is that a plant? Yes, is it a flower? Whatever. It's tea. It's tea. <laughs> All right, a rose. Let's go rose. I love roses. When I shake the lulav and esrog, I'm going to throw a rose in there and shake it along with the, with the other four. Not allowed, not allowed to add a fifth. You got the Torah is the Torah, the mitzvah is the mitzvah. It's not up for, you know, um, additions. Or another five and four Rashi says by attaching five fringes instead of four to the tzitzit, and so too do not diminish to go down from three from four to three. So that's what verse 2 says. Do not add to the word which I command you, nor diminish from it. So don't add 5 instead of 4, and don't go down from 4 to 3. Either way is no good. The question is, the question that people ask is, well, what's the problem with, and I understand the problem with diminishing. If you're diminishing, then you're not doing the, the mitzvah. But if you're adding, what's the problem? You're going above and beyond. It's not, I'm not taking away from the mitzvah. I'm just adding. I'm being a hitter. It's like I'm making it even more beautiful, one could argue. The danger is that once you start deciding what you're going to do with the mitzvah on your own, it's like, I'm going to take this from four plants to five. The moment you're starting to figure out what you want to do is the moment it's going to lead to diminishing. In other words, once it's your seichel, once it's your in intellect that says, I'm going to do a mitzvah my way, well, then it's, it's, not then it's not God's commandment anymore. That's exactly the point. So there's no difference whether you're taking away from it. Because a person might say, if you're taking away from it, I understand why it's a problem. But if you're adding to it, what's wrong? Because it's still not God's mitzvah. You're adding to it, that's your thing. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, so for sure. 613 mitzvah. Um, so a rabbi that's committed to doing all, does, does one actually end up doing 613? Or are there some that are not really... Don is asking, can, can a person actually do all 613 mitzvot? No. No. It's not possible. The vast majority of the positive mitzvot are not available to do today because there's no temple and we're not, we don't have sovereignty in Israel, we don't have a king. It's like all that stuff. So... Out of the 613, there's about less than half of them that are possible. Within those, um, 
within those, let me, I don't remember the exact number, but within those, there is, um, there are a number that can only be done, there are some that can only be done by men, some that can only be done by women, some that can be only done by Kohanim or Levim or whatever it is. There are certain mitzvot that are, it's not possible for one person to do all of them as it stands right now. It's not a huge number, but every mitzvah does have a lot of particulars to it. It's like there might be a mitzvah to build a sukkah, but that's like, it's an involved process, right? It's like, it's like a, a bunch of things involved. Or keep Shabbos, you know, rest on the Sabbath day, but that includes 39 different categories of work that we should avoid, etc., and things that we should do. No, that's all part of one observe and guard the, the Sabbath. So that's what I mean. When it comes to the mitzvot, there are like the 613 are, are more like general categories. Yeah, umbrellas, sort of, within which there's a lot of details. That's what keeps the rabbis busy for the last 3,000 years, <laughs> discussing all the particulars and all the details. No, literally, I mean, that's why you have like 60 volumes of Mishnah, 60 plus tractates of, of Mishnah, and then Talmud elaborates on it, and you have 14 volumes of Rambam, Halacha, you know, the code of, then you have a code of Jewish law. I mean, all the Jewish scholarship is so vast, it's crazy. Plenty to keep us all busy for a long time. Okay, let's jump on to the second reading. So again, the nature, if we had to kind of like capture the, the, the energy of reading one, Moses is kind of wistfully talking about his, um, his, uh, his negotiations with God, trying to get into Israel, and ultimately the answer is no. But the Jews have their marching orders. When they go in, Moses says, when you guys go in, you got to stick, stick to the script. Okay, reading number two, this is Deuteronomy chapter four, verse number five. Okay, behold, I don't like this, behold, it's really look, re'e means look, see, look, behold, I have taught you statutes and ordinances as the Lord my God commanded me to do so in the midst of the land to which you are coming to possess. In other words, I've given you, Moses says, I've communicated to you these mitzvot and various categories We've talked about this many times. There are chukim, there are mishpatim. Chukim means the super rational laws, the laws that we don't really understand, like wool and linen and meat and milk and those prohibitions. Mishpatim are the civil laws that we do understand, but Moses is referring to both. See, I have, I have taught you the chukim, the mishpatim, the super rational laws, the, the rational laws, as God has commanded me. This, is, this clarifies. Moses did not just free style on his own. Moses was not like, you know what, guys, this is what I think we should do. Whatever Moses communicated, he got from God, and Moses says, the point of these mitzvot is to do them in the land that you are coming to possess. Let's continue, verse number six, and you shall keep them and do them. Ushmartem va'asitem. That refers to, of course, the negative commandments and the positive commandments. Shmarta means guard or watch. Here it says keep, but it means to watch, which means to make sure you don't do, you don't cross a line. Vasisem, and you should do them. That refers to the positive mitzvot. So in general, the, three, the, the 613 break down as follows. 365 negative commandments, 248 positive commandments. There's more don'ts than do's, or do nots than do's. 365 don't which you can fulfill by just not, if you just sit there and don't, don't harm anybody, right? Don't bother anybody. So you're 
keeping lots of those 365. And the 248, of course, are positive actions, like um, active actions that need to be done. But Moses refers to both. Ushmartem, you should guard yourself. Be careful to not violate. Basitem, and do the ones that you need to do. Why? And look at this. Look at the next phrase. For that is, ki for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the eyes of the peoples, which is such a beautiful phrase. Basically, Torah and mitzvot is what raises the stature of the Jewish people in the eyes of the nations who will hear all these statutes and say, only this great, only this great nation is a wise and understanding people. In other words, sometimes we feel like maybe we need to hide our Judaism. Like maybe we shouldn't go like super out there, super public with our Jewish beliefs. And the to- Moses told the people then, and he might as well tell it to us today, which he kind of is because we're studying it, right? And every day it's, it's new. So Moses telling us today on, I'm looking at the date here, July 19, 2021, at 12.33 p.m., Moses tells us through the Torah and the words of Torah that never be ashamed of the Torah, never be ashamed of the mitzvot. It only raises our stature in the eyes of the world. The world says, you guys have this wisdom, you have this code, you have this way of living, you have this moral authority, you have this you know, higher authority. We've had it for 3,300 plus years. What if someone on their own, just, just not Jewish, decided to do the mitzvah, but doesn't go through the formal conversion process? The formal conversion, so it's interesting, when it comes to conversion, at the, at the essence of conversion, is super, super simple. It means a person says, I want to opt in. I, I, I like Torah and mitzvot, Judaism. I want this to be my lifestyle. I want this to be my life. That's it. So why, does, why is that a complicated process? First of all, it doesn't have to be. Second of all, because at the core of the process is making sure that the person is serious about the commitment and knows what they're committing to which is probably the most important. Because somebody might say, yeah, I love Judaism. Gefilte fish, right? <laughs> or Hanukkah, huh? Or not gefilte fish, right? Matzah on Passover. It's really important that the person knows what it is. Once they know what it is and they say yes, and they've demonstrated that they've, you know, they're, they're, they're ready to go, boom. There is, 100% that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, person that converts, yeah, yeah, you need it. Yeah, for sure. For sure, yeah, you got a document. There's a betin involved, for sure, yeah. But again, at, at the core, it's, you know what it is? It's what we said, at, what, what we all said at Sinai. We all converted to Judaism. There were no Jews before Sinai. I mean, we call Abraham the first Jew. We call them like the children of, of, of Israel, the children, right? But that's like, these are more like colloquial terms. These aren't, aren't precise terms. Judaism began formally at Mount Sinai. And what happened? God said, you want the Torah? And what do we say? Yes. That's it. That's all it takes. So how come conversion doesn't take a quick question and answer? Because no rabbi is, gonna, is, gonna, is going to say that a simple question, uh, do you want to be Jewish? person says yes. That, that it can, that, that's enough of, a, of an assurance that the person is actually committed to Judaism. So again, you got to, the person has to know what it is. What is Judaism? What does the life look like? What does a Jewish life look like? Right? And then, okay, have they tried it? Is it something sustainable? 
If it is and they want it, done. So how long does it take? It usually takes a year or two. To learn, to practice, to live. You've got to live in a community that's, you know. Anyway, that's, that's at the core of what conversion is. It's, it's not, it's not a, I think it's been made into like this, like almost mythical process, but it's not. At the core, it's nasa v'nishma. We will do, like we said at Sunday, we will do and we will hear. That's it. Okay. So getting back, oh, so, but your question was, what if somebody just starts, uh, you know, somebody says, hey, I love Judaism, sounds great. I want to do some mitzvot. It's not a problem. If they want to be, you know, all in, then there's a, there's a process for that. You don't have to do the process, but there is a process. Um, but again, verse 6, to me, is a very powerful verse. And it means we don't have to hide uh, our Jewishness. We shouldn't be ashamed. On the contrary, it's something to be proud we have a Torah, we have, we have uh, mitzvot, we have this great wisdom. You know, what's, what's the, the wisdom of the Jewish people? It's not all the Nobel Prizes that we've won, although there are a lot of them <laughs> that are Jewish uh, won Nobel Prizes, as the videos or the text usually goes around social media every, every few weeks. And a lot of Mount Sinai hospitals, exactly, which is quite the legacy. But Torah and mitzvot is really our shining legacy. Okay, let's continue. Verse 7. For what great nation is there that God has, that, sorry, that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is at all times that we call upon Him? Moses is speaking to the people. Not about a reflection of the past. This is right now. Right? Some, a lot of times Moses is recalling what happened once upon a time. This is Moses right now with the people shortly before his passing. He says, recognize the gift and the privilege it is to be a member of the Jewish people, right? What other nation is there to which God is so close as God is to us? And verse 8, and which great nation is it that has just statutes and ordinances? Just meaning um, righteous. Statutes and ordinances. As this entire Torah, which I said before you this day. You know, Moses was standing, this is again 3,300 years ago. We know about the corruption, the immorality, just the horrific rules, so-called rules that existed then, right? So this is Moses telling the people, How fortunate we are, how lucky we are to have God, to have this unique relation with God, to have the Torah, to have the mitzvot. It's a privilege. It's a privilege. And this is really... I think one of the most important messages for Jewish continuity. Because if the message to a child is, um, to the next generation is, oh, it's so hard to be Jewish, right? Like, oh man, Pesach is so difficult, and the holidays and Shabbos, it's such a challenge. If that's the message, then the kids are like, yeah, I don't want that. I'm going to opt out. Like, who wants a burden? It's like, but we've been carrying the burden on our backs for so long. And if you don't take the burden, then, then you're going to end it. That's guilt, right? That's the guilt approach. The guilt approach is that we have 3,000 years of schlepping this burden. And what? And you're going to walk away? And you, how dare you walk away? Just like that. That's not, a, that's not like, it's not a positive messaging. That's a pretty terrible messaging. But unfortunately, that's the messaging that's been around for a while. Like the post-Holocaust messaging of like, if you don't stay Jewish, if you don't, you know, whatever it is, then, then, um, then Hitler will have won. I mean, it's not inspiring. 
That's like guilt-induced, attempted guilt-inducing. It's not inspiring. What's inspiring? You tell your kids, you tell the next generation, we have this gift called Judaism. This is the most incredible lifestyle possible. It infuses meaning and purpose and, and, and clarity and uniformity. You know, like scientists, physicists are looking for like the theory of one, like a one theory that combines the quantum physics with the, you know, the macro with the micro and all. Looking for, you know, a theory that, that big bang and you know, that brings everything together. Meanwhile, Judaism, I'm not going to get into, you know, origins of the universe right now, but Judaism has a central theme that runs through all of life and that, that, can, can, that can bring everything in our lives together. It's and a good message for adults, too, because... For sure. Because, you know, as you said the other day, we're all so stressed and worried. And you said, don't worry, we're here today. We're here. So yeah. that's the message that to relieve the stress and have more confidence by now more embracing... Yeah, when we believe that Judaism is a gift, it can also help with the stress, 100%. But when we believe that it's a gift, and when we not only believe, but when we treat it as a gift, our ki kids are excited about what parents are excited about, right, in general. At the next generation, the youth is excited about what, maybe they're not, whatever, but it should be at least, excited about what parents are excited about. If it's a gift, it's a gift. If it's a, if it's a burden, it's going to be a burden. All right, so that is, that is, I believe, the energy that I'm getting from these words of Moses, right? That God is so near to us. Um, we have these just statutes. It's, we have wisdom that the, the world is, is, is envious of. Not envious in a negative way, but like the world looks up to the wisdom of, of, of Judaism, Jews, and Torah. It's, it's an amazing thing. We have this. We should appreciate it. All right, verse number nine. Now it um, flips to the negative. Right? So Moses did some encouraging and some like optimism, and now he's going to focus on some of the, you know, but be careful with the following. Verse number nine, but beware and watch yourself. He uses a double expression. He used the word shamer and shmar twice in that verse, in the Hebrew. You see that in verse number nine. Beware and watch yourself very well, lest you forget the things that your eyes saw. And lest these things depart from your heart all the days of your life. What are these things? What are we talking about? Sinai. Make sure you don't forget. And you shall make them known to your children and to your children's children. And here we have one of the many, I cannot tell you how many because I have never counted. But I, it, one of the many instructions in Torah regarding education. Children, the children's children, right? It's all about continuity. Jewish continuity and continuity happens through education. And education happens through inspiration, as we talked about before. But the point is, it's not enough that you're committed. It's not enough that you remember Sinai. You remember what it means to be Jewish. It's not enough. You have to make sure that your kids are also on board and that their kids are on board. Let's continue verse number 10. What should we be careful not to forget? The day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb. Horeb already from last week we know means Sinai. When the Lord said to me, Moses is saying to the people, assemble the people for me and I will let them hear my words, the Ten Commandments, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach 
their children. So this is what Moses is reporting 40 years later that God said to him 40 years prior at Sinai. God said, gather the people and I'm going to talk to them. They're going to hear my words. I want them to fear me. Now fear always strikes a very odd um, chord in the modern mind. Fear, oh, I don't want to fear anybody. Fear, fear anything. That doesn't sound right. So fear is not, I mean, don't, don't read it as fear. Read it as awe, respect, reverence, whatever you want to, whatever synonym is a little bit, is, is more um, whatever will sit better for you, that's what it means. Right? Fear means be in awe of God, reverence. All the days that uh, they live on the earth, they may teach their children. So the, the Sinai experience is meant to impact not only that generation, but also their kids. Let's continue verse 11. Moses continues the walk through history, or the, the, sorry, the trip down memory lane. That's what I wanted to say, the trip down memory lane. And you approach, you the people approached and stood at the foot of the mountain, Mount Sinai, and the mountain burned with fire up, in the, up to the midst of the heavens, with darkness, a cloud, and opaque darkness, different types of darkness. The Lord spoke to you, by, and there's commentaries. I mean, I probably don't have to tell you this. There's commentaries on every single word. What's darkness? What's the cloud? What's the opaque darkness? Okay. Let's continue, verse 12. The Lord spoke to you, says Moses, recalling what happened 40 years prior. The Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no image, just the voice. That's very important. You heard God speak, but God did not appear in an image. Of course, this is monotheism. This is Jewish monotheism, that God has no image. God has no form. Who was it? Was it Freud or Nietzsche, somebody? Somebody surprising who said that one of the greatest contributions of Judaism is the notion of an invisible God, an imageless God, because it allowed the human mind to start thinking in abstract terms instead of concrete terms. Because until then, everything was concrete. Even the gods had a form, right? Even the powerful gods, what, were, what did they look like? This statue, and that stone, and that piece of wood, and that image, and that, you know, heavenly sphere. And Judaism introduces, introduced Abraham, Moses, right? Introduced a God, or a, a notion of God. No image. You heard the same. Yeah. I think that was Nietzsche. He, was it Nietzsche? He did have some surprising, um, positive quotes. Yes. Nietzsche was not, we once had, years ago, we had a lecture from a philosopher in Nietzsche, and he said that, you know, it's, he's made out to be more anti-Jewish than he was. Yeah, that's, I, but I it was so long ago, I, don't, I, cannot tell you, I can't tell you details of the talk. I think I recently found a recording of that. I don't think we ever put it up anywhere. Probably have to listen to it again. Anyway, uh, this was like back in the old day, like back in the, the old day, right? Like 40 years ago now, back in the old shul with like my old recorder, which the sound quality was terrible. Do you remember back in the day when you had a cell phone and a recorder, how it would make like these weird sounds when, when the signal would come in? You guys know what I'm talking about? Legit. It would go almost, almost sound like a modem, but not exactly. Remember like the sound of a modem connecting to the internet? Like that sound? But it would basically, like if you had your, like I know this because I would record, you know, from the beginning I would record everything. One of those big phones you're talking about? No, 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 like whatever, like a, like a, you know, Blackberry or whatever it was, Nokia or whatever the kids had, Sony Ericsson. I had a Sony Ericsson phone back in the day. 
before the iPhone. There were phones before the iPhone, right? But how old? No, but anything on SoundCloud, anything on SoundCloud is... Which class? Oh, on, um, on Chabad.org? Yeah. Well, we had a crew come in, they had a camera crew and everything. It's video, right? I'm pretty good. Yeah. It's with the people. It's not yeah. Like but they had a. No, but he had. I know, right? But he had a. They had a microphone on a stand that was hardwired, you know, under the tables to the back. Yeah, it was, it was done. Yeah, they 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 hooked it up. But I'm talking about like my like little recorder, right? Like I still. So I've upgraded a few iterations, and the cell phone technology is one where it doesn't throw it off anymore. It used to be when you were getting a text or an email or whatever, it would like the signal, it would just it would mess up, it would interrupt, it would like make it a little glitchy, whatever. All right, back over here. So the point is, imageless God, formless God, no image, just a voice. Verse thirteen. Again, Moses is reminiscing about Sinai, and he told you, God told you his covenant which he commanded you to do, the Ten Commandments. It's called Brito, his bris, his covenant. Bris means covenant in Hebrew. We use it today to refer to the covenant of circumcision, you know, specifically usually, but bris in, in, in the literal, friends, in literal uh, sense just means covenant. So God told you his covenant, what he commanded you to do, the Ten Commandments, and he inscribed them on two stone tablets. Verse 14, and the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and ordinances. In other words, in addition to the Ten Commandments, we don't only have ten, but so we have 613. So there's a few more. It's like 603 more. So, and, and God commanded me to teach you additional statutes and ordinances so that you should do them in the land to which you are crossing to possess. Moses always brings it back to where they are right now. Right? So we got all this stuff, and now... You're going into Israel. You got to do this. Why didn't they do this before? A lot of the a lot of the mitzvot are are dependent, as I mentioned before, right? More than half are dependent on living in the land of Israel. So Moses says, "We got all these commandments. I've told you a bunch of them. You guys are going to be the ones, the first generation, to be able to do them." Verse 15. Once again, he says, "Watch out. Be careful, and you shall watch yourselves." Vinishmartem, again the same word, Shamar, Shmira. And you shall watch yourselves very well, for you did not see any image. Like once again, you did not see any image on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb from the midst of the fire. And why do you think Moses is reiterating this? If you didn't see an image then, then make sure you don't make an image, make an image now. Verse 16. Lest you become corrupt and make for yourselves a graven image. Moses basically leading into reminding them not to serve an idol, not to create idols or images, right? Don't you remember? We were at Sinai. You heard the voice. You didn't see an image. Don't create an image, lest you become corrupt and make for yourselves a graven image. The representation of any form, the likeness of male or female. Look at this. He says, not only is it prohibition against making a deity, it's against any, making any form. And now you're thinking, what, I can't sculpt? What about photographs? One second, one second. Let's continue. Verse 17. Or, nor can you make for yourselves the likeness of any beast that is on the earth. You know, like recently, statues have been being pulled down, right? I'm not going to get into a political conversation, but like statues. So maybe Torah is anti-all statues, right? Forget about, you know, 
the likeness of any winged bird. You can't make a picture of anything, a male or female, any beast, animal, any winged bird that flies in the heaven. Let's continue verse 18. Nor can you make, I'm adding those words, the likeness of anything that crawls on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the waters beneath the earth. So let's continue verse 19. Unless you lift up your eyes to heaven and see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, which the Lord your God assigned to all peoples under the entire heaven, and be drawn away to prostrate yourselves before them and worship them. And now we have the answer. The prohibition against making these images is only if you are going to prostrate yourselves before them. That means bow down and worship them. That's the context in which it's prohibited. So, yeah. I did research yeah. on the Jewish charms, and I found a committee of rabbis that actually did a whole study and came up with a ruling. On, on, on images, on images Jewish images. Of like Torah yeah. scrolls and things. Right. So the, result, the answer was that they gave was, Treat them like tefillin. So just how you don't desecrate tefillin by going right. to certain areas. Right. So try to avoid that as well. Yeah, so images have, have a certain power, especially if the images are worshipped. So, so this is where Moses says one is not allowed to make an image to then be worshipped. But if you want to just make a sculpture of something, then it's not a prohibition in and of itself. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So that if you're... Where the end lasts, you lift, it is my problem with old, because that older English, and lest you lift your eyes up, that that's saying... Do not. The previous is being stated because you may lift your eyes up and worship. I, I actually look at it as as not that's where it finishes off, but in middle of that sentence. In other words, I look at it as, look, Moses is saying, remember Sinai, that's when you came in contact with the authentic God. The authentic God is, has no image, communicated with you, and that's it, but no image. So therefore, lest, i.e. don't. So don't make a graven image. Don't make the likeness of male or female. Don't, so graven image would be any sort of image, right? And then he specifies the image of a male or female, the image of any beast, uh, any winged bird, anything that crawls on the ground, any fish in the water, etc. And then I, my understanding is he's saying, and also don't worship without an image, without, without creating an image, don't worship the image of the sun, moon, and stars. Right? Or don't, don't um, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying because it said lift up and then be drawn away. I, I don't know. I think that that's part of like the image. Like don't create an image and don't create that as an image. And what's the problem with all of those? When it's in the context of worship. Like you can look up at the sun. I mean, I don't know. Health-wise, maybe don't. But like, you know, you can look up at the, at the stars. It's not a prohibition to look at the stars. But the problem is to look at the stars and worship them. So likewise, the problem is to have an image that you're worshiping. That's the way I understand it, but I understand what you're saying. Okay, that doesn't, it's kind of like, I guess, a reading comprehension thing. Right. Like we were applying the, that prohibition in 19 about, not prohibition, that applying the reasoning regarding worshiping and say, okay, well, that's, that's being alluded into the previous. Thing. But I understand exactly what you're saying. You're saying maybe the problem with the graven images is that it's going to lead to looking up at the stars and then worshiping them. But I, my, my reading is that that's all lumped into the, the images and the images which are all problematic in the context of worship. Okay. But, I, but, but, but I will say, I will say that considering that there are 
hundreds, literally hundreds of commentaries on Torah, authentic commentaries on Torah, it could be this is the subject of a discussion about how to read it. It, it very well could be. In fact, I'm going to take the liberty quickly to do some Rashi toggling here on my side, and let's see. No, I don't see anything specifically about how to read that one way or the other. But I, I would imagine that there's some conversation of that in the commentaries. Okay, let's continue with verse number 20. Um, so again, just to recap, so Moses has segued into a warning against idolatry, idol worship in various forms. Verse 20, but the Lord took you out, sorry, took you and brought you out of the iron crucible. Now that's a very interesting phrase, which I'll speak about in a second, out of Egypt to be a people of his possession as of this day. In other words, God does not want you to serve idols. He wants you to be on board with him. Now, let's talk about the iron crucible, Kor HaBarzel. This is a phrase, of course, that's in Torah. It's right here, chapter 4 of Deuteronomy, verse 20. And the way it's understood in, in Jewish literature is that Kor HaBarzel, iron crucible, and I don't know what the word crucible exactly means, but it's a, it's a reference here to Egypt. And it's, oh, I've heard it also be euphemistically translated as smelting pot. Not a furnace. It's a furnace. Iron furnace. Uh, the iron furnace. So it's like, specifically in the context of when you refine the iron, when you refine the metal. So you melt it down. And then through the process of melting, somehow, again, I'm not, I'm not an expert in this, but somehow through heating it, reheating it, or something like that, you actually refine the metal and you purify it. And so it says that this alludes here to the purpose of Egypt. What was the purpose of Egypt? It was the pressure, right? It was the, the intensity, the slavery, not justifying it, but just saying that the end result was a purified people a refined people, a people that were ready to receive the Torah. So that is kind of like, kind of like how, how in Kabbalah we talk about, we talk about how you have to sometimes go down to go up. So this is kind of like needing to go into the smelting pot, into this iron furnace, crucible, to go up to get the Torah. Let's continue. How much more do we have? It's, it's fairly long. I'm, I'm comfortable with kind of breaking soon. I think we'll break another, another like it's 12.59, so we'll break in another minute or so, and then we'll just, we'll pick up tomorrow in the middle of reading two. Reading two is really, really long. Um, okay, let's go very quickly here. At verse 21, and the Lord, let me just see here for a second, verse 21. Okay, and the Lord was angry with me because of you. This is the second time that Moses mentions this in the last uh, few weeks. And he swore that I would not cross the Jordan and that I would not come into the good land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. For I will die in this land. I will not cross the Jordan. You, however, will cross and you will possess this good land. What, why is he saying this now? Because I think the way I understand it is he's saying, I would love to be able to remind you this constantly. But this is it for me. I'm not going to go in with you. So this is, this, this is my last shot at reminding you of what you're supposed to do and what you're supposed to not do. Follow God, don't follow idols. And he says, it's interesting. We just read this yesterday. Okay, so at verse 25, we're going to stop. Okay, so let's continue. 
verse 23, until 25, until verse 25. Verse, so two more verses. Beware, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make for yourselves a graven image, the likeness of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. Once again, he repeats this prohibition. Make sure not to make the graven images. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a zealous God. Basically, God is not keen on you hanging out and dancing around other gods. All right, this, is, this takes us to a break in the Torah. How do I know this? Because I have a chumash next to me. And the chumash has a pei, the letter pei. And the letter pei here means paragraph break in the Torah. You know, Torah is usually written like a run-on sentence pretty much. I mean, there's no punctuation, sentence, you know, periods, commas. Um, but every so often, there's like a line break. And this is a line break, so that's a good place to stop, right in front of verse 25. You wouldn't know it in the English. You wouldn't know in this version. But in the Chumash, that's where a break is to be found. So we'll pick this up tomorrow, the second half of reading two, and then we'll go into reading number three. Sarah, yes, jump in. May I, may I see your Chumash real quick, please? Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay. Um, let me stop sharing so that I, so you get a, a bigger view of this. Chumash is this one. Okay, let me zoom. I can't, I can't pull out. Okay. All right, I see it. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's um, the Gutnik edition. I got it on Amazon. You got it on Amazon? The publisher is Kol Menachem. It's expensive. Yeah, it's an expensive book. It's very good. And the pay, I'll show you the pay that I was referring to. The pay is right before verse 25, if you could see that, there's like a pay right there. I do, I do, yes, I do. Yeah, that, that indicates that in the Torah, there's, there's a break. Every, every so often when there's like um, a bit of a topic, not a topic shift necessarily, but like a break, it says that God taught Moses in chunks, in sections, that Moses could digest and think about things and then tell to the people, and then they picked it back up. This was Moses speaking, but I guess... It would mean that Moses here probably took a break. Maybe it was the next day that he continued the conversation. But here there's a break, so I figure it's a good, good time for us to take a break. All right, so what's the moral of the story? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there's any one specific moral. I mean, we could say, like, don't serve idols or don't create graven images and worship them. Sure, but to me it's, it's, it's about commitment to Judaism and, and, the, and that commitment being one born of appreciation for Judaism. That Judaism is a gift. It's not a burden, but it's a gift. It's a treasure. And we should never be embarrassed or hide it or, or think that in order to be valued by others, by the majority of the world's population, we have to, you know, we have to sell out or not be so Jewish. It's your wisdom. It's your, it's, um, it's your knowledge in front of the people before all the nations of the world. They will say, wow, what a wise nation has such a wise Torah. So let's be proud of what we have. And uh, Judaism's gifts to the world. Judaism's gifts to the world, yeah. That was a great course. Say it again? Like Napoleon. Like Napoleon, yeah. We told a great story yesterday about Napoleon. We, Rabbi Jacobson, on the video, told a story about Napoleon. How Napoleon was once walking through the Jewish quarter in France, in Paris, on Tisha B'Av, on the 9th of Av, and he heard the crying and mourning and, and, and weeping from the synagogue and he asked one of his officers what's going on the officer went checked it out came back and said uh, it's, a, it's a Jewish fast day mourning their temple when was the temple destroyed? 
1,700 years ago. And they're still mourning. So, so Napoleon said, a nation that for 1,700 years is still heartbroken, still mourns their loss, one day will, will return to the land. A nation that never forgets, one day will go in. So even Napoleon recognized the value of Tisha B'Av. Anyway. Let's, uh, let's appreciate what we have and treasure it because it is a treasure. All right, Sarah and Olia, great to see you. Take care. Thank have you so much, Rabbi. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. Have a great day. We'll see you guys soon. Take care. All right. Any questions or comments?